0: Okay, Golf WRX, the newest episode of the Gear Dive, brought to you by Titleist. Uh, yes, it's still the Gear Dive. I haven't changed the name. I will let you know. Uh, busy week in golf. World Golf Championships are live there in Tennessee at the FedEx. Um, really, really cool to see a, a WGC event, just to see golf in general, obviously, with all the craziness that's happening right now in the world. But, uh, you know, not only do we get golf, but we get a WGC. We get a packed field, but there's no Tiger, unfortunately. That was a heartbreaker. Uh such a different feel. I've said this on the show many, many, many times. Tigers in the field, it's a different different ballgame. But we got Rory. We got some serious pairings uh, to look at. We're going to discuss those in a little bit. Um, but first off, we're going to talk a little bit about your wedges. We do a lot of shows. My boy Aaron Dill out there is just crafting wedges for the tour guys constantly. A lot of SM8s flying out the door. But what do you know about SM8? What do you know about what it does and why it does it? Um, the cool thing about what Titleist does is, you know, They've made great wedges for years and years and years, but you don't really need to understand how it does what it does. It just does what it does. And in simple terms, what the SM8 wedge and the technology built into it, what it's going to help you do is it's going to stabilize the face. It's going to help you just square up the face a little bit easier on some of those chip shots. But that's one part of the equation. you got to get fit for your wedges. You have to. you got to understand bounce. You got to understand the grind. You got to understand your shafts. You got to understand loft and line, all that stuff. So uh, go to a Titleist.com, go to an authorized fitter in your area and get fit for the wedges. Uh, most people just buy wedges off the rack. They don't bend the lofts. They don't bend the lies. They have no clue what grind does what. They just saw it on TV or saw it in a picture and they grab those three wedges or two wedges and they go out and they can't figure out why their wedges are digging in the ground. Get fit. Go to Titleist.com, Authorized Titleist fitter in your area and you'll see... The awesomeness of the SM-8, especially in the higher lofts, face stays is really, really square. It's like you want to help hitting that dime. You, you pick out a dime spot that you got to hit, and for some reason your old wedges just aren't hitting those spots. The new SM-8, the technology built into it, will help you hit that spot more often. So if you're aimed correctly and you got the right wedge set up in your hands, that technology will kick in and help you hit that spot a little bit easier. That's what it does. So that is technology actually potentially saving you some shots, which is the whole point to buying a new golf club and uh, spending a little money on your game. So go to titleist.com. Once again, authorized titles fitter in your area, get fit, get fit for the Vokies. Uh, if you have any questions, go ahead and DM me. I have a lot of experience with the SMA. I love those wedges and obviously I have uh, good friends with Aaron Dill. So a lot of, a lot of Intel on all the grinds and, and what they do. So go ahead and feel free to DM me at Johnny underscore wonder. And I'll let you know about the SMA wedge line. So a few topics and I'm going to tell you who the guest is here in a second, but, um, you know, a few kind of, like, overall golf-related matters um, that I want to cover. Um, you know, really, really cool weekend. Last weekend, a lot of guys uh, stepping up to the plate, especially on Saturday and Sunday. It was kind of a shootout. Finau Thompson, Charlie Howell played really well. Charles Charles Schwartzel kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I think he's missed, like, four cuts in a row. I don't think he's broken 70 and since, you know, the COVID reopening, and he just goes and Shoots like 15 or 16 under last weekend. Um, I always like watching him play well. Him and Louis Eustazen are two guys that I watch hit the golf ball and just can't figure out why they don't win like three or four times a year because they're both kind of iron Byrons. Um, it just shows you how important uh, short game and putting is. Um, you know, when I think it goes south for Charles, I don't think it's a ball striking thing. I think typically it's from 100 yards in and it's where he struggles. And I know that's the, I know that's the case for Louis Ustazen. I just can't figure out how those guys don't win all the time because they're machines. Um, but anyway, it's good to see him play. Well, Michael Thompson, great win, great win for my boys at Fujikura, the Venice black. Um, obviously a really, really popular shaft on, on the website. Everybody wants to know about it. DJ had it, you know, Jimmy Walker's got it in the bag. Ricky had it in his driver, but no one's really won with it yet. I don't think, I don't think DJ won with it yet. I think he's always had his old speeder in the bag, but, uh, Michael Thompson went off and won with three of them. Driver three wood, seven wood, uh, six X, seven X, eight X, which sort of begs the question, why don't more players play with the same shaft profile and different weights in their woods? I mean, Tiger does it. Is one. Sergio does it. He's got the same shaft in every, every wood. So he goes like 10, say, blue, 80, TX in all of his woods. And then the only person, other person besides those two icons is Michael Thompson. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, John Rahm used to do it for a hot minute and then he, then he put that graphite design thing in his five wood. But, um, I don't know. I, you know, I've asked Trotty and a couple of those guys, why don't, why don't more guys do that? Uh, I'd really love, uh, would love to do a little bit of analysis on that. So that could be a, that could be an article that could be written. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is sort of a cool experiment that I'm doing right now. Um, and I wrote an article on the site that went out last, I don't know, last week or whatever, or this week, What's today, Wednesday. According this on Wednesday, I guess it went out yesterday or the day before, about filling this hole in my bag. And, you know, some may say, like, well, it's a pretty easy solution. you like, just stick a 4 in in your bag. But as my ball striking has deteriorated over the last, uh, call it 10 years. Um, you know, I used to be a really, really good long iron player. And for whatever reason, over the last 10 years, little by little by little, the irons that I could hit well have gone from, like, two iron – that went away, got replaced for a 5-wood. 3-iron got replaced for an extra wedge. 4-iron I used to stripe, and then little by little by little, the you know the shots just got a little bit thinner and a little less consistent. And now it's a crapshoot. If I hit 10 balls, I stripe two, and four of them are wide right and four of them are wide left. And it's just a part of my bag. So if I'm in the middle of a fairway, and I got 205 or 210. It could be flat surface into the wind, downwind, doesn't really matter. There's a pretty good shot that I'm chipping from somewhere. Um, you know, 20% chance I'm hitting the green. 20% chance. It's not a good percentage. Not at all. So I'm like trying to find that hole. Like what's a, I, I want some mindlessness down there at that part of my bag. And I want to do it with one club and I don't want to have like, I don't want to go driver, 3 wood, 5 wood, 7 wood. I don't, you know, trying to find that right combination. I love having a 5 wood. I love my 3 wood. I love my driver. So, I'm doing this fun thing on IG with with Cobra and they sent me some they sent me four kind of clubs to try and fill that gap. Um and there's three real clubs to fill that gap, so they sent me a forged tech 4 iron, which is like a straight up 4 iron, okay? just your normal four. Iron. I think it's like 21 and a half degrees aloft, which is like, I get it. It's a three iron, but it's a modern day four iron. Okay. Then they sent me the forged utility four iron, which is a really good looking club, by the way. I don't. I've I had never seen it until they sent it to me. I got it in the box. I was like, oh, wow, this is pretty awesome. And then they sent me like this total snowflake club that I am enamored with. Kind of like my new dog, Gary. I'm just enamored with this club. Um, It's like this 39 inch. 21 and a half degree four hybrid with like this really stiff aerotech steel fiber shaft in it it's like d5 swing weight so it swings like a hammer and we took it on track uh, not track we took it on foresight a couple of days ago at my buddy nick's house and you'll see the video it'll go up i think on monday on rig and and i've probably hit it 20 or 30 times now and you have yet to miss hit it but this thing goes no matter what, unless I completely skank one, it goes 211, 212, straight up in the air, good ball speed, plenty of spin every single time. And if I hit it thin, it goes 206. I can, live with, I can live with that. So nine times out of 10, I hit my number. And the one time I just have sort of a seizure and hit it thin, it still goes 206. I lose three yards. I'll take that. That's a good club for my bag. That's, that's in the bag. It's got a home right there in slot 1 right below the driver. It's just going to sit there until something beats it out. I feel like Mark Crossfield with his little uh his little chicken stick or whatever he has. I just have that that's my my new little friend in there. My little trusty. Uh, but that's been a really really fun experiment to do. Um, so if you have holes in your bag, like start looking around at different different options and and you know maybe a hybrid or cut down is not the worst idea. Start playing with shafts and start playing with some tipping and you know it's fun to find the right one. And once you find a good golf club, you stick it in the bag and you leave it there. Um, so excited for that. Um, the guest on the show today is Brandel Chambly. I guess this is guest appearance number three or four for Brandel. Um, him and I have become you know like little text buddies. I don't talk to him a lot, but when I do, he engages me in conversation, and I always learn a lot. So talking a little bit about the distance debate, a lot of it had to do around his tweets and some of the uh, conversations he's been having on Twitter around. Uh, the distance debate about how people want to dial the ball back and dial the clubs back. And, you know, we're killing the old golf courses and we're doing this and we're doing that. And, you know, I kind of dig his response. His response was like, you know, don't be afraid to just make the golf courses tougher. And you're going to hear him. This is, you know, I'm I'm recorded it already, so I can speak to what he said, but he makes some really, really good points about how making the golf courses that tough will identify the next Ben Hogan. The next tiger was the next, yada, yada, yada. I think that's a great, nuanced argument and talking to Brandel love him or light, you know, love him or hate him. Um, he's one of the best minds the game has. He's so well read and so well studied and so well thought out. Everything that comes out of his mouth is measured. Um, and I love that about him. So you may not love his opinions, but the guy can go toe to toe with anybody and whether he's had the experience in Ryder cups or the experience under the gun, like some of these other guys that he, that he works with at the golf channel have had like Duval and Nablo guys. I love they're fantastic. But, um, Brandall just knows his shit. <laughs> he's just one of those guys that just knows. I mean, you, if you get in, argue, I mean, you could be arguing with him about steak sauce. And you give him a day and say, oh, Brandall, you're coming over to my house and we're going to argue about A1 over barbecue sauce. And you better be ready. Because if he's arguing for A1, you better bring it on barbecue sauce. Because he's going to pound you into the ground. And he's going to, you're going to enjoy it while it's happening. That's how good of a, good of a debater he is. And I think a lot of it, it doesn't have to do with the fact that he debates people. I think he likes to have healthy conversation and he, he's so curious that, um, when he's asked to speak on a topic, he just wants to be able to speak on it. Not only genuinely, but, uh, you know, uh, is a well-informed participant in the conversation. And that's not very common these days. Most people just kind of talk shit and say stuff out loud into the ethos and and hope it's true. Um, You know, I'm as guilty as that as ever. I, you guys listen to my show. I just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. Uh, Would I consider myself measured? Uh, No, I don't. Not like Brandel, but uh, anyway, he's on the show. Good conversation with him. Uh, I do want to go through some of these pairings here. And then I have one other kind of cool conversation I had with a young teacher that I'm really stoked on right now. look at the parents killer parents this week at the WGC just killer parents so uh the Rory Spieth Webb Simpson pairing um obviously there's Rory in there I do not love that pairing um Rom Fowler and Bryson DeChambeau a couple of Cobra guys and a TM guy um Rom could be dangerous this week again by the way I know he won a couple weeks ago at the memorial but he could be uh he could be dangerous. He's just he's trending. Um, kind of a fun one is the uh, the Patrick Reed uh, Brooks Kepka Vic Hovland pairing is a cool pairing. Um, you know Patrick Reed, I haven't really heard his name a ton in the last uh, few weeks since COVID reopening, but um, obviously Patrick Reed, love him or hate him, he's still a great golfer. Fun to watch. Um, like to see Vic Hovland in that in that sort of you know prestige group the Brooks Koepka. Um, Vic Hovland's going to be. Top five, top, you know, number one player type thing in the year. I think him and, and Morikawa have the chops to uh stay in the top five in the World Rankings for a long time once they get up there. Uh then you got Thomas Morikawa and and, and Hidiki uh are playing together. So it's gonna be a fun week. Uh good field, obviously. Got some fun picks for you though. Got some fun picks and I got a sleeper. I got a sleeper. Uh Pick number one, obviously that that golf course, a big ballpark. I think Rory could be dangerous there. Um, I really, really do. I so my, right now, my two top picks right now would go uh, Rory McElroy and Tommy Fleetwood. Fleetwood did not look good last week, but he, been traveling, got back, first tournament back in a while. Uh, this golf course is really, really good for him. It's obviously a long, a longer golf course, and it's a ball hitter golf course. I think Fleetwood uh, Fleetwood could be dangerous this week, so don't be surprised if he wins. My sleeper, sleeper pick for this week to win: Jordan Spieth. Yep, I said it. He's been trending. He's been playing good. He's said. He said. Brief glances of of some some good play. Uh, he's my dark horse, Jordan Spieth, and he's a birthday boy. I think he could be good. I think he could be tough this week. Just look out for Jordan. Uh, and if he wins, then I'll say he was top pick, number one. But uh, I think Jordan Spieth could be dangerous. Um, so I, I do want to talk a little bit about this conversation I was having with this young teacher. His name's Jake Hutt. Uh, if go check him out at Jake Hut Golf on Instagram um, and TikTok and everything, every other freaking platform that's out there. But he's a kid that teaches out at Stanford. He's kind of a surfer looking dude. He's probably like 31 years old, 30 or 31. Uh, he's posted a couple of videos for us up on the IG channel. Um, like these little golf one-on-one kind of mindless videos. And, and they're really, really well done uh, as a content creator. He's fantastic. Um, but we were talking a little bit about, um, like, like what we're watching and how we're taking in golf and what we're taking in, uh, how we're taking in golf, who we're watching to get better. So it's one thing to watch the majors. And this is important because this like sort of screwed up my life, <laughs> like, my golf life. So back in the day. You know, when I was in my twenties and I was playing and I could hit it like a you know, like a like a good player. Of course you're gonna watch the tour players and learn from those guys. You know, I used to practice at a place where there's a lot of tour players that would come in and out of there, Mike Weir and Gabe Yetstead and Paul Stankowski and a lot of players would come in and learn. We all had the same teacher and I would watch those guys and you know, I could hit it with them and they weren't they weren't gods. They you know, they were just guys. That's how I met Brando the first time, it's how I met Gabe Yetstead the first time. Um, but they hit it like I did. You know, they were just tour players. So I didn't play like they did, but I hit it like they did. And we're talking about 1999, 2000, 2001. So this is 20 years ago. Not now. I hit it like crap now, but back then I used to hit it pretty good. Um, but I understood that they're, you know, they did things in their game that I could watch and I could, I could pick up from. Now, today, if I'm being really, really honest, unless a guy's chipping or putting from like 50 yards and in, I can't learn anything from the guys on tour anymore. Um, I just don't hit, I don't hit it like they do. Never will again, never. I mean, if I'm, if I really, really start with work on my body and work on my golf swing, like I might get my swing speed to like 115. So I'm at like 109, 110 now. Um, I just don't hit it. I don't, you know, I'm got two kids and obviously working a lot and traveling and everything. My body's a disaster. I barely play. Like my, my pinnacle would be like, okay, cool. I want to get between 110 and 115 and stay there until I'm 60. Like, can I do that? Maybe I don't know, but. I can't watch these guys now and learn anything about how to play the game, how to take those shots and, and incorporate them into my own game, even the way that they swing. I get more value now going on YouTube and watching the ladies play and watching the senior tour highlights. So, like, over the last uh, month, month and a half, like, I've been going and watching David Toms play on the senior tour and Steve Stricker play on the senior tour and obviously a ton of Bernhard Longer stuff on the senior tour, Scott McCarran, and I'm watching these guys – it's similar clubs into the green that I would, you know, driving distance same as I would. Golf courses of same length of the ones that I play, and watching these guys plot around the golf course. And what I'm gathering is that they all hit it pretty well, but once you get them from 150 in, they just kill people. But that's more right size for where my game is. Is watching the senior guys, and I'm learning and I'm watching Bernhard Langer plot around a golf course and. You know, I was watching some old Annika some you know, uh, highlights from her, like you know, lighting up a sixty one hundred yard golf course, and it's like, wow! Like, look how she plotted around there. Look at the strategy she used. Look where on the green she hit it. Look where she misses it. This and that. Like, that's that's the stuff that we should all be watching. And Jake and I had a great conversation. Like, you want to help golfers, so if you're a teacher or if you're uh you know heavy into the game and you're trying to really work in your game, you actually want to get better. Watch. PGA Tour slash WWF for shits and giggles, watch the Senior Tour to study. Watch the LPGA to study because they play the golf course as design. I said it last week. They play the golf course as it's designed. Guys on tour play 70% of the golf course. And Brandon and I get into that. So if you get a chance, heed my word because I've started doing it more, and my understanding of just how to play good golf has, has amplified quite a bit in the last month, month and a half, uh, by not just, you know, repeat on tiger woods, 2009 highlights and, you know, or 2007 PGA championship highlights like that's cause that's typically from, you know, nine 30 to two in the morning. If you look at my YouTube history list from like the last two years, it's tiger videos from 2005 to 2009, countless tiger videos, you know, it's a good watch, man. It's like watching Seinfeld. Gotta watch it. Gotta check it out. Um, a couple of cool things to uh, to add here. Uh, who loves their sports teams? Like who has serious serious loyalty to their sports teams? I know I do, and I'm a, a kid from Seattle, and uh, you know, growing up, a Husky fan and, and a Mariner fan and a Sonic fan, and but being able to to take that love for your sports team to the golf course. So if you're a diehard sports fan who wants to show your passion for your favorite team on the golf course, golf pride, the golf grip, just mega company, uh, is bringing out the MCC, which the MCC grip is like the, uh, you know, Phil Mickelson and and a ton of players use the MCC. You guys know what it is. Multi compound court, uh, that grip, they brought it out with, uh, with teams, team colors. Um, so there's, uh, I think there's 15 different colorways to match your favorite team. Uh, so that you can rep your team's colors on every single swing. MCC is the number one grip series worldwide. How do you say that? This is the number one grip worldwide. That that is staggering. Wow. Uh, But it's hybrid technology that gives you the cord in the upper hand for moisture control and all rubber lower hand for ultimate feel. Bring your passion, as I do for my UW Huskies, bring your passion to the course this season with MCC teams for Golf Pride, Go to uh, golfpride.com to uh, go ahead and check out all the colors. I saw them up close. I have yet to see them recently, but I saw them up close at the PGA show. Uh, Golf Pride put on an awesome event for the media. They took us to Orlando Magic game, and we got to see them all up close. And I was eyeballing, like, you know, just, wouldn't it be cool to have, like, you know, North Carolina Tar Heel grips or Duke Blue Devil grips, like, Syracuse Orangeman grips. Like, they had them all, like, totally dialed in. And I've never been a guy to do, like, theme grips, but damn it if I didn't like watch those and like, okay, I want my I want my UW husky grips. Like, do you have husky grips? Can you give me some purple and gold grips? Because I would totally rock them. So go to golfpride.com and check those out. Uh, other thing you gotta remember, uh, Golf WRX has a relationship with Golf Avenue, which is the buy-sell trade Death Star that it is. It's such an awesome site. So if you want to go look at old pictures of your old PT-13, S2H2 Woods, Great Big Bertha's biggest Big Bertha's warbird, Big Bertha uh Ping eye twos, ping eye blades, whatever you're looking for, the old Rapture, uh, any of that old stuff, uh, buy, sell, trade on Golf Avenue. So if you go to Golf WRX side slash Golf Avenue for a 3% kicker on your first trade-in, that's an awesome relationship. One we're very proud of and very excited about with the guys at Golf Avenue, Canadian company. Nonetheless, I think they're up in Montreal. So go ahead and check that out. GolfWRX.com side slash Golf Avenue for a 3% kicker on your first trade-in. Who doesn't love a 3% kicker? But we have a conversation to get into with Mr. Brandel Chambly. So I want to thank Titleist for sponsoring the podcast. I want to thank Golf Pride for, uh, for, uh, for joining the show as well. Um, you guys have a great week. Once again, I said it. Look out for Jordan Speeth. He's my dark horse. He's not my pick-pick. I got McElroy and Flatwood, Fleetwood. Dark horse. Really excited about Spieth this week. Look out, for, uh, look out for Jordan. And I guess have a great week. Let's get into it with Brandel. It's the Gear Dive. I'm your host, Johnny Wonder. Peace out. Bye. Okay, as promised, once again on the show, I have my friend Mr. Brandel Chambly. Brandel, how are you? I am terrific,
1: thanks. Uh thanks for having me on. It's always nice talking to you.
0: Well, it's always nice to be uh always nice to be talked to. Uh it's been a, <laughs> the, I was compelled when I saw Bryson show up, you know, after lockdown, you know, at 20 with 20 pounds of pump and hitting at 390 and I was just kind of waiting for the debate to happen, you know, length versus golf courses and stuff like that. And and you is always just come in with such nuance and such great arguments for or against whatever it is. Um, so I think the argument sort of on Twitter, and I'm just going to base this whole podcast off of a Twitter response that you made, but the argument was kind of like, you know, making the golf course is tougher, hiking up the rough to their knees, making the greens fast, just making every golf course these guys touch a challenge. One of the arguments to that was like, well, no one's going to want to watch like it's not fun anymore. And your argument back to that was like, well, that's how we discovered Tiger. That's how we discovered Hogan and Nicholas. So walk me through that tweet. I'm I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about, but I thought it was what a brilliant response. Let's just start on that tweet. And what you meant by that?
1: Well, the hard Yeah, I mean the hardest thing to do in golf is hit it far and straight. Um, not that hard to hit it long. I think we're finding that out as we watch Price Shambo put that pieces the, the, those pieces of the puzzle together to hit it long. Plenty of people in the game have hit it long. Plenty of people outside professional golf have hit it long. It's not that hard to hit it straight. Either. And if you start to look at the players and I used this in one of the tweets along these lines since nineteen, or excuse me, since two thousand. So we're going on twenty one years. The driving distance leader has only won eight times, and that includes for us Shambos win at the Rocket Mortgage this year. Hmm. Eight times. Uh, the person who's led driving actually has only won five times. But if you look at the combo of driving long and straight. From 2000 to 2003, that was total driving. That person, Tiger Woods, Sergio Garcia, among them, in the period from 2000 to 2003, won 13 times. And then the new metric in 2004 was, of course, Strokes-Gain opposite T, and that person has won the leader of Strokes-Gain the T from 2004 to present. has won something like 37 times. Yep. So you can see driving it long and straight, Again, the hardest thing to do in golf and the one thing that everybody is trying to do and the one thing that opens everything up, it it makes second shots easier, which makes putts easier, which makes the game easier, and it is the quickest way to improve your score. So again, if you set up a golf course where inaccurate tee shots are punished a sufficient degree you will encourage people to go learn how to hit it long and straight. To the degree that they're not punished, people will not learn how to do the hardest thing to do in golf, but also the thing that is most, I think, cherished, or should be the most cherished. Again, hit it long and straight. So if you don't punish them, they'll never learn. They'll only go out there to hit it far. which just hitting it far... Um is, is not interesting. What is interesting to long is along the street. That is how we found Ben Hogan. That's how he separated himself. That's how Jack Nicholas separated himself. These are the two greatest drivers of the golf ball ever. Hogan, more anecdotally, Nicholas, statistically, only one person has led total driving three years in a row, and that's Nicholas. When he was 40, 41, 42, those were the first three years, that they did that they did measure statistics on the PCA tour. So countless other times, no doubt, he would have blamed. But at forty years of age, he was the best driver that has yet existed from a statistical standpoint. Forty, Jack was. So Hogan, Nicholas, and Tiger Woods, the best he ever drove it was in two thousand. So long and straight driving is the hardest thing to do, the thing we should reward, and to do it, to find it. We need to punish inaccurate drives. The idea there, of course, to take on the personality of Augusta National, which again, there is room in the game for creativity and the uh, great ability to escape. But the game shouldn't be about who can get out of trouble. I mean, that should be a footnote, a sideshow. Uh, They come along from time to time and they're great escape artists because they've got great short game, great imagination, good for them. But the idea that it the, the philosophy around the design of Augusta National, which, again, I, I enjoy it. It's one or two weeks a year, I enjoy it. But it shouldn't pervade all of professional golf. Uh, and to the degree that it does, it impoverishes the game.
0: It's so interesting to me when I watch yeah, you because know, obviously when Bry- Bryson is the fun one to talk about right now because of what he's done. My whole right. thing is like, well, first of all, the tour is the WWF. It's not real golf, in my opinion. Like that's not real. That's that's a percentage of a percentage of a percentage of a percentage of what golf is. It's the most elite athletes in the world are playing at that level. So if they go to Hamilton Country Club, or if and shoot twenty five under, or Victor Hovland shoots. You know, sixty nine under in four tournaments or something, whatever this run he went on and never won. Like that's the tour. So if if your argument is these guys are shooting too low, then yes, hike up the rough, make the greens fast. You know, and I think that's okay. I just I don't understand why the 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 passion to dial the equipment back is even on the table. Like what, in your opinion, Brandon? What would that even do? Like why would you do that?
1: Make them play with a different well, you know, it it's it's being foisted upon the golf world you know I mean they're attempting to foist it upon the golf world to maintain a certain nostalgia for old golf courses you know a handful of old golf courses around the world and and people who are in love with golf course architecture hate that those golf courses can be played in a completely different way than they were designed a hundred years ago. And well I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess on some level I can sympathize with their, um, maudlin nature. Um, every sport has changed, you know, and I've never understood why golf is alone in In all sports, it is alone in that the better the athlete, the more critical those who say that they love the traditions of the game are of what the athlete is doing. They hit it far, Mm. they get criticized for ruining the game. If they play great and shoot ridiculously low scores... They get criticized and say they're ruining the game. I mean, imagine criticizing Usain Bolt because he, he Carl Lewis's records. You know, you don't, they exalt the great athletes. They exalt the high score. They exalt the accurate pass thrown 80 yards or 70 yards or however far. I mean, they exalt the long field goal. Um, NFL's never been more popular. Um, the three point, Steph Curry game the offense the same things happen in baseball what's happening is is that statistics are so so uh, easily found now right and it is so and it is so easy now to sort of unlock the mysteries of the game and the benefit of power while it was always sort of um, sought after but one, now that from a strategic standpoint, you can clearly show what an extra 20 yards will mean to your score. All things being equal, it's you know, three quarters of a shot. So, from a you know, distance now is not something that people look at in a freakish kind of way. They look at it as something that you can train. And then, having trained it, benefit from it in a huge way. Right. So, and, and I, what I love about what Bryson's done is he has single-handedly shut up all the people that say it's solely equipment, because there's a definitive before and after with Bryson, and he's using the same equipment. It's not like he just switched a solid-core golf ball no. and a metal And he wasn't using wooden blotta last year, driving it 20 yards shorter. He was using the same equipment. So you. You know, those people that love to say that it's all on the equipment, they, they just had their argument completely shot out of the water. Because here comes a guy who said, no, I'm, I can be 20 yards longer with the same exact equipment. So finally, we can look at him and go, that's the athlete doing that. That's ingenuity. You know, uh, that's necessity being the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. Those are all the great things at all this is the guy who figured out how to run faster from one year to the next congratulations good on you see the you know and then and it, it, go ahead you're not paying attention if you're in professional golf and you're not paying attention um well you're gonna get you're gonna get passed
0: by. as far as your equipment for for, for example you use the same driver for like 10 years you use like a cleveland launcher or something that you had in your bag forever right <laughs> okay I did. okay so i was thinking back to when I played, you know, this is late 90s. And I always go back to the course I grew up on, which is Rainier. And I use that as my reference to how far I'm hitting it. Because I just, you know, you grew up on the course and you know when you pounded one where you hit it on the, on the golf course. And when I was playing with an old great big Bertha or the 975D, I hit it to places at Rainier. Nice. I never hit it to those places with the new stuff. So I don't know if it's just because I hit it better back then, hit it more in the center of the club face, what it was. But it didn't trans like the new equipment didn't translate into uh into distance for me what it meant is i could practice less hit balls less, show up roll out of bed go play and still fling it out there without having to really focus on making center contact like that's what distance did to me it's hard to track it personally because i feel like i was hitting back in the day yeah well it's no question that i
1: mean look i mean we know that there's Certain amount of the distance increase has come because of the driver of the ball. Sure. We know that. Sure. It, it's And it's demonstrated, it and it's just a question of well, how much is attributed to, to the athlete? And it's the idea none of it was attributed to the athlete. I've heard people make that argument, and so what I love about Bryson is this is all attributed to the athlete. Right. Yeah. So you know. 40 yards, 42 yards difference from 80 to 2019. You know, how do you divide that up? I, I think at least a, you know an, an equal third of it or something along those lines let's say um, belongs to the athlete and the others to the engineers. And the engineers were all doing their jobs within the parameters outlined for them by the USGA and the RNA. So Call King's X on the improvements that the engineers made. Um, seems a bit uh, seems a bit unfair, you know. It's like I, I don't like the hand I was dealt. Let's let's shuffle the deck again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and they, they put the parameters in place of spring effect and length and head size and such, beginning you know back you know, all fifteen years ago or so, uh, a little more than fifteen years ago. So the parameters are there and and. The increases since then are due to better athletes coming to the game. And that's something to be applauded. But, you know, as it relates to the game being impoverished by the distance players are hitting the ball, some of those arguments have been made forever. You know, I tweeted, quote tweeted somebody um, using a, you know, uh, uh, highlighting a paragraph from, a book written in 1929 about you know, the, the the only problem with the game is the distance players vision the golf course. So we're sneaking up on a hundred years, um, and how it's going to obsolete great golf courses and ruin the game. So we're sneaking up on a hundred years, and it didn't ruin the game, didn't obsolete golf courses. It only improved the game. It only made it better. It only made it easier for uh the average player to go out and have a little bit more fun. Right. Because nobody wants to spend the day looking for golf balls. Um, they made equipment better. They did their job. And, you know, golf course maintenance is better. And you know, you know, we can argue about whether golf course architecture is better. But golf course architecture is art. And as such it's purely subjective. So you know, somebody's um Mona Lisa is somebody's dog playing golf. Uh, <laughs> right. It's, it's purely subjective. But what, what is far more objective in setting up a golf course is what kind of player do you want to identify? And, and that to me, mm-hmm. you know, when you, when you start to, you're like, listen, I want to identify a player in complete control of the team, who's punished appropriately if they miss the fairway, who's still encouraged to hit driver. So you look at the dispersion rates, how far they're hitting it. You widen the fairways accordingly, and you don't neck them in for the players that are hitting longer. That's not the way to do it. You widen the fairways, but you also figure out what kind of rough and hazards should they miss it. Penalize the player roughly .5 or half a stroke for a miss, because right now it's .3. So that's not sufficient. And and then from there you figure out where and when you can get greens of sufficient compaction that they identify and accept the great shot, less um, receptive to uh, average shots, and not at all receptive to poor shots. And you only do that with firmness, right? Um, So and you can't do that everywhere because you know parkland golf courses don't have the sandy soil they. They don't have the sand, the the, the compaction of soil. Um, you know, they they just don't have the the topography um, that is conducive to those kinds of setups. So quite clearly, you have to be creative and think about how else you can penalize players. If the golf course stop, soft, then then maybe you get a little more punishing with the rough. But again, I think the game of golf has acquiesced to. Players criticizing setups. And that should never happen. You know, you should never ever listen to the players in terms of how they want a golf course setup. That's like well, it's asking your students what kind of tests they want to be given. Right. Of course they want the, your test. Um, you know, if you're setting up the test, it's, you know, that's why I love Joe Dye. Uh, that's why I love uh, Sandy Tatum. These men who were unmoved by the plaintive woes of touring professionals. It's your job to play golf. It's our job to set golf courses up. They're two different things. Yeah. One of them is an intellectual pursuit, a philosophical pursuit, and the other one is an athletic pursuit. Um, and 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 the idea that those who are in charge of setting up golf courses should give any credence. The tour players' woes is uh, is the wrong road to travel there, uh, and and steadfastly set up golf courses in such a way that the game is returned to its equilibrium.
0: And because I never th- I never thought of it that that way, where because you know the, the players do have an influence you hear about it at the u.s open every year there's always a player it's usually a high high level player that didn't play well that week or was in the hunt and then fell apart in the last 18 holes and obviously there's a couple holes in there that just weren't fair or whatever and i've always wondered that like you know how is that taken in by the usga when players are complaining about the golf course because you said it perfectly i've never heard an analogy better it's like you know the test didn't have the right questions on it and it was like well it's the u.s open so this is a math you know it's an algebra test so these are algebra questions So did you, you know, did you study for the algebra test or did you not? Well,
1: I mean, again, it's the greatest line ever uttered by people whose job it is to set up golf courses in 2000. Excuse me, 1974, when Sandy Tatum said, we're not trying to embarrass but we're just trying to identify them. And I mean, that, that that, that should be printed out, framed and hung up in every single room where people's job it is to set up a golf course. So, uh, so really yeah, quick. Look, sure. not, not every week needs to be a U.S. Open, but something along those lines to encourage longer, straighter driving. You know, I'm I, not a fan of going to, you know, um Aaron Hills and, you know, not a fan of going to Chambers Bay. And, you know, these golf courses are great for the public, marvelous for the public big, beautiful, nice golf courses, for the public does not have to look for golf balls. Those are great golf courses for the public. Right. They're just not great golf courses. You know, Trinity Forest and Dallas, Texas. They have a fine golf course for members. It's just not a great golf course for tour players. It's it, they're just not challenging just not going to reward all the aspects that need that, that give this game its vitality. Um, the reason so many heads and businesses are intrigued by the game of golf is that it's difficult. I mean, how many people play tic tac toe? <laughs> a you lot. Don't, you don't, you play, put it down because it's it's a ridiculous game. You know, nobody can win it. Nobody can lose it. It's not difficult to learn, um, but you know, we're, we're drawn to games. Yes
0: you know? Um. Well, yeah. And it's also like, I'm looking at the scores. Like if you go back, cause you brought up an interesting point, like Aaron Hills, like Aaron Hills and Chambers Bay, I'm from Washington. I don't know how the hell Chambers Bay got a U.S. open. And I'm from that state. It's the worst representation of Washington or Northwest golf I've ever seen in my life. It's not, right. That. Exactly. it's That's not even close. Like. like go back to Sahali and call it a day. That's the Pacific Northwest, but those newer golf courses, not Chambers Bay is a bad example because that was sort of a circus, right? You had to bounce it off the side of the hill. And, I mean, there was it's that was a crapshoot. But if you take Aaron Hills, for example, um, that never felt like a U.S. Open. You know, it's, I think, 16 under one or something like that. Like, you know, I, I, I remember watching that and go, what happened where, like, even par in a U.S. Open was like, you know, if you shot three under in a U.S. Open, you lit it up. Like what happened to those days and what I did think about also is like if you go back to like two thousand twelve or two thousand ten at Pebble or Shinnecock when BK won, those are old style golf courses that they made slight adjustments to that still kicked the crap out of those guys because they made the greens firm, the golf course played firm, the rough was high, and they shaved them down in the fairways like on six at, at Pebble. They shaved that right area down, so if you don't hit your tee shot perfectly it's gonna roll into the into the ditch. Little things like that that they did to defend against a player just go on gangbusters, kind of like what Tiger did in 2000. So I still think in my in my heart of hearts, the designer or the uh, the people setting up the golf courses can go back, take a golf course as is, and just make it difficult that that year. They, and, and they can still have the same 10 or 15 golf courses. And the argument that these guys are coming in and destroying the destroying the historical golf courses doesn't really hold water the difference is now i believe the usga or whoever's setting up the golf course is a, is thinking twice before they go their normal route of setting up the golf course knowing that the weather's going to be fast and dry or you know it's, or it's you know it's the greens are going to be fast they tend to sort of hesitate before that happens to keep it fair
1: preemptively yeah right yeah i mean look i i'm not i'm not saying that it's easy to set up a golf course that is challenging and fair uh, that's you know, I mean, there's so many things that are out of your control, um, namely um, Mother Nature. Right. You know, you I mean, you know, you just it's not always going to be in your um, you, you can do anything. You you can do everything perfectly, and it still won't turn out just right. So it's not easy. Right. Um, and, and of course, nobody wants to see scenarios such that. They had at the 98 U.S. Open when the balls were rolling off the back of the green. At, uh, Is that the uh, Olymp- Olympic club? Yeah. I, yeah. Nobody wants to see what happened at, uh, at Shinnecock in 2004. People don't want to see that. Um, so, you know, it, there's difference. You know, I, I, I don't know that you do it with green speed. I think a reasonable green speed so that you can use the more interesting parts of green. Uh, is, is what we're looking for. But they're, before they get there, they should have to pass the gauntlet. And, and, you know, it, it should, people act like strategy is thrown out the window if, if you don't, uh, if you have rough. It's, right. it's thrown out the window. Like, you know, uh, as if you can't seek an angle if you're good enough in a fair way. That is lined with rough. You can still seek an angle if you're good enough. I mean, that's what we're looking for. This player that can do that. You know, where does he exist? You know, is he the one person that does it this way or that way? Or how is he doing it? Um, and then there is there is strategy and, and the sort of set up in your golf bag and the way you uh attack um, and play conservatively off of certain holes to certain spots. There's plenty of strategy. It just may not offer um every conceivable shot choice to every player. Well you know, your 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 choices if you're playing in a, a golf course with punishing rough is to get it back in play and then let your imagination run wild, you know, get after it.
0: Well yeah, and it's and also again. it's also forcing the players to play the golf course as designed. Like I made a made a point last week where, you know, the, the, the PGA tour players, in my opinion, play 70% of the way the golf course is designed, right? They, they tend to hit it over a lot of the places that were designed to go around, so to speak. And when you do make the golf courses tougher, as you suggested, or just, you know, set them up in a different way, what it does to me is it makes them forces them to play the golf course the way it's supposed to be played like they got to hit irons off of this tee they can't blow driver that way they can, you know they, they have to just sort of make some choices like you said and it does sort of limit your options and i like golf courses where your options especially in a u.s open or a, a major championship where your options are limited like everybody's hitting four iron off this tee because you have to that's how you play the hole and the guy that hits the best four irons that week and the best wedges into the greens theoretically is going to play the hole well and, and has a chance to win because it's more than just hitting the ball; you got to think around a golf course too. Um, it just, it's just—it's just—it's—it's—it's it's such a weird, uh, I guess, the argue, the distance argument, and how it bleeds into just everything that we talk about. You know, hitting it far is just—it's—it's it's sort of like Tiger Woods. It's just like this thing that's just always there, <laughs> um, which I find fascinating.
1: Um, if the anyway. governing bodies decide they want to roll the golf ball back, it, you know, again. I don't think it's necessary. I think there's other ways to do it. I don't think the game's in a bad shape. But I'd be fine with that. It would would change very little. The engineers are always steps ahead of them. They will recoup the distance very quickly. Right. Tour players will figure out how to hit the ball farther in a very short period of time. So there's there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. You know, the, the guys just know how to swing better. Better athletes are coming to the game. And, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it should be exalted and it should be enjoyed and it should be lauded, not criticized. Uh, If
0: they roll the tiger, if they roll the ball back, I'm a big proponent. If they roll the ball back and say, for example, they give everybody max fly HT one hundreds, like this is the new ball guys. You're playing with this ball. I'm of the opinion that if tiger stays healthy, and I think you and I talked about this before, they give him a spinny golf ball. His opportunity to win three or four more majors goes up substantially. If you give him, everybody's got to play with the same golf ball he's playing with. That's I think I think he's got a better chance yeah. to win twenty. No,
1: than I, than like I, I would, The only thing I would say there is, just, you know, is, one, is forty-four years of age. Sure. And you know, I mean, uh, there's only ever there's been eight players in the history of the game when majors are forty-four years of age and older. Eight out of 451 majors. Eight have been 44 or older, and only one of them had a bad back. So there's really only been one player similar to Tiger Woods in the history of the game win one major championship, and that was Lee Trevino in 1984 PGA Championship. So you know Tiger, how Tiger won the Masters last year? It was great to see. It was unbelievable, but he won it in a way that I mean it, it was incredibly fortuitous I mean nobody since they started keeping statistics in 1980 has driven the ball worse and route to a major championship victory than Tiger at the Masters last year and you know he's now a year he'll be a year and almost a half he a year and a half older than he was the last match right so uh, <laughs> you know the door is closing really fast on him and don't forget that his Greatest tryouts, or at least his widest margin of victory in the major championship and his four majors in a row were achieved when nobody else was using a solid-core golf ball in the game but him. Hmm. He was the first switch to a solid-core golf ball. Now, mind you, Nick Price had done it in the early 90s and went from being middle-tier distance to one of the longest hitters on the tour, Right. and in 1994... Won a couple of majors, majors, and nobody really paid attention. Then Mark O'Meara went to Charlie floor golf ball and won a couple of majors, and so still nobody paid attention. And then Tiger did it right before the U.S. Open in 2000 and won four majors in a row, one by 15 and 8. So it wasn't like he was playing ballada then. <laughs> so he was an early adopter and benefited greatly from this technology. And I couldn't disagree more with people who say that the technology – has mitigated the advantage of the best athlete because never has there been a greater difference between everybody else and one athlete since this equipment has come along. So again, those arguments that people put out there flippantly and as if they're pointing to the pyramids and saying they've discovered them are, are, couldn't be more inaccurate. Um, you know, Tiger benefited as much as anybody from this equipment. Um, maybe even more than anything. But you know, if he if he wins another one or two events in the rest of his career, it will be borderline unprecedented. Um given not only his age but his health. So and I, I know, look, I hope he I hope he pulls it off. I hope he does it. Um but uh but it's not likely. That was the uh like i'm a smart ass
0: like i know a lot about tiger woods a lot i would claim that i know as much as pretty much anybody but you just said something that i never even wrapped my head around before and your expertise in most of these topics Brandle, still to this day just blow my mind back and i love talking to you <laughs> I adore talking to you i learn something every single time uh my man have a great rest of the week always a pleasure to have you on always a blast talking to you uh Hope the family's well, and we will talk to you uh, hopefully soon sometime.
1: You got it. Thanks so much for having me on. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Brandon. Talk to you again. You too, sir. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.